Welcome to Energy Matters, where we explore alternative health in the Pioneer Valley. I'm your host, Caroline Rutterman, and I'm a Reiki professional and intuitive in Northampton, Massachusetts. For the past nine years, I've been teaching people how to use their intuition and helping them reduce stress and anxiety. Together, we'll talk with other practitioners and learn how they bring health and healing to the Pioneer Valley. Let's do this. Hey, welcome, welcome everyone. You are listening to Energy Matters and I am your host, Caroline Rutterman, and we have a very special show for you today. We are here with my summer guest host. Um, so this is Marietta Skeen, who is a very amazing therapist and facilitator, and she's got all kinds of great tricks for us today. And she's actually going to um, co-host with me uh, for our guest, Adam Brady. So, um, so welcome, Adam. Marietta and welcome Adam. <laughs> Thank you, Caroline. Of course. Thank you, Caroline. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Marietta, why don't you go ahead and um, and jump on in and tell us a little bit about who we are chatting with today? Well, uh, Doctor, Doctor, do you sure, go yeah. by that <laughs> technically? Um, Doctor Adam Brady is here with us today, and he happens to be uh, a friend of mine, and. Um, I'd love to actually have him describe what he does because I'm realizing that it's a lot, but he works in the bodywork field and founded just last year, mm-hmm. Tend Integrative Body Works in East Hampton. So I'm hoping that he will share more about uh, specifically what he's up to. Yeah, sure. Thank. First off, thanks for having me, guys. Yes, and to have you here. Yeah, and um, yes, I'm a doctor of physical therapy, technically, so not a medical doctor, but I focus a lot in the physical therapy realm on hands-on work and in specific, nothing in specific, but some of the things that I get really passionate about are chronic pain, chronic illness, and just in short, underlying vitality and helping people who are really struggling with things that aren't going to quote unquote get better, get better, so to speak. So, yeah. Mm. I imagine a lot of different people come to you for a lot of different reasons. That is true. Yes. And I feel very lucky to have a practice where there is so many different uh, things and people and people's stories. Um, I feel like I get to just read the best books and hear the best stories from people (laughs) as a job. So yeah, I like it a lot. Do you read people as books? That's a good question. I am a super big book reader. Like, if I could, I'd always have my nose in a book. So there is that feeling. But books are also a little more static and less um, less of a dance than a person. So I actually prefer the stories as they kind of come into spontaneous generation in thus us living creatures. Mm. Yeah. Gosh, it's so funny. When I think of physical therapy, I think of like, athletics and like sports and like muscles and bones and having you know practices you have to go home and do but uh i'll be fully transparent that i've actually been on adam's table quite a bit this year in fact um and it was not that and i'm curious if you can share a little bit about what are the multiple modalities that you're working with Hmm. and also maybe how you got into this work in the first place i mean whichever kind of feels on top for you Yeah, thanks for the question. And I think answering the first question of sort of what, how I differ from normal physical therapy or conventional physical therapy is easiest to answer through the history of where I 
where I came from, so to speak. Um, I got into physical therapy when I was a 17-year-old with a lot of injuries, and I had a doctor tell me, I distinctly remember this conversation, that you'll never be able to run, play contact sports, or even walk easily again. I had a ton of knee injuries and was, at the time, really struggling with all of those things. And as a 17-year-old who did feel, like I at least identified as athletic, that was like one of the hardest things I could hear at the time. And also, as a 17-year-old, I'm going to prove this doctor wrong. So <laughs> I, I got into school for PT with the idea of both working for my own self, um, helping heal the body that was struggling so much and, and felt like, in a way, was betraying me or abandoning me. I didn't use these words at the time, but this is, in retrospect, the feelings that were there at that time. And But at the same time, I was like, but I want to go work for a sports team. And at the time, the, the goal was the Boston Bruins, the hockey team. Um, and in school, I actually got the opportunity to work for the Celtics and realized that a lot of the intention behind the work there was to, in essence, build people up for the short term at no, with no consideration for, and in fact, sometimes um, pushing against the long-term implications of those things. And that felt really wrong for me. So this was probably in my early 20s, I decided, you know, working with high-level athletics, if that's what it's going to be, isn't for me. And when I started school, I realized that it was actually the people who would come in in a vulnerable place, which were usually the people who were also in the most crisis, were the places that I felt the most alive. And um, this could be any sort of thing that would bring somebody in like that, but cracking through those first ingrained habits and what we might call posturings and defense mechanisms and really getting into the essence of who we are as people through the lens of injury has ultimately become the thing that you know just makes me so excited and I, I feel very lucky to do how I got there it it really was a, a sort of thing that led me by the nose rather than I went and sought after it. it by just seeing the people that that were getting better I came to realize oh so much of injury is not just about mechanics and mm. Yet that also matters. So how do those intersect? And to this day, that's an exciting question to me. So. I like how you describe that when people come to you as like their moment in crisis, because I feel like that's often a term that we use around mental health. But like, that's actually the thing that t pain and like not being able to physically move their body is typically the thing that gets them actively trying to do something different. Mm -hmm. So I, I kind of like that, that how you kind of use that word and integrate that word. Thanks. And it seems like in crisis, people actually make some real lifestyle changes. And I wonder, have you seen that with your... Client? Yeah, uh, gosh, there's so many examples of that. Um, one of my favorite ones is quite early on, somebody um, that I was seeing, this was sort of when I was still, I, I suppose, learning the potential of the work. Um, through it happening. Uh, I had somebody on my table who is a professional dancer um, with crippling sciatica. So she had this really bad pain down her leg. And 
we were discussing all of the different actions in our dance, which was making that happen. And I was both looking at it from a structural standpoint as well as the nerves. And we were talking about this and it just, it would get a little better and then it wouldn't stay better. Um, and there was one session where I really just decided to slide underneath that intellectually framed layer. And um, I, I had my hand, she was laying on her back and my hand was on her sacrum cradling it and it to me the imagery at the time was that it was similar to cradling a nest um or perhaps that my hand was the nest and she fell into a deep sleep and about 40 minutes in to really from the outside what would have been a very boring thing to watch because there was no movement happening she just popped straight up um still in a sleep state and just screamed at the top of her lungs so it almost made me f fly backwards <laughs> i was so or like surprised in that she she came to and told me a story about how her brother had very recently passed in the Japanese tsunami at the time and she every time she went to sleep she was having these recurring nightmares of not being able to say goodbye to him and she just like poured out emotions and then ultimately she left it, that sciatica went away completely it's that's not always the case that <laughs> these sorts of things happen but for her, not only did that happen, but she decided in that moment, I don't want to be a dancer. She realized that that was her mother's goal for her. And um, she didn't come to that conclusion within the hour, but she wrote to me a month later and told me about her life change. She moved across the world, um, is now doing something completely different. And it was just really fascinating to see that shift and to see somebody who came in looking somewhat squeezed and sort of tightly contained a month later when we when we ultimately met up for the last time just a total transformation of self and mm. that was very exciting for me mm. Mm. Yeah. i'm just taking all this in as you're speaking and and really digesting that this is not just about physicality that there's emotional content here there's intellectual there's belief systems and it sounds like it's all working together yeah, it's really, again, for me, one of the things that I like to remind myself always is that no map is the territory. So um, in answer to your question, all of those different dimensions, I, when I was uh, in my early 20s, I was like devouring every bit of information I could. And what I realized in retrospect was kind of building myself an atlas of maps to reference the territory of what we might broadly call the self or mm -hmm. in, in, in my specific lens through the human body. Um, and what I'm very passionate about now is sort of rifling through that atlas of maps, allowing intuition to decide, oh, yeah, this is the map that I want to use right now. And then both understanding how that serves me to understand a situation and serves whoever I may be working with, too. But also at the same time, how does this map not serve or where is there its potential limitations and um so yes all of those dimensions come together to me and often at the depth i often feel like those divides are are, are not even in existence so to speak mm. yeah like there's something beyond all those maps yeah i'm not even sure where i'm <laughs> going with that but that sounds about right <laughs> and when you're talking about these maps like do you what what would be an example of a map it's a great question. So um, 
the, one of the simplest ones is just gross anatomy. And as a physical therapist, we went through school and learned each little bump and ridge on every bone, every little muscular attachment. You know, I, I pretty much learned Latin through learning the muscles. And that map in great specificity has really served me. And yet I also see all of the places where by zeroing in on that, I may miss a really a more important way of viewing a situation. And um, just to give an example in that, if somebody has a rotator cuff injury in their shoulder, often that's the first thing we as physical therapists look at because is the actual muscle tear, but there could be so many other things. So uh, another map might be looking at the nerves that are coming down into the arm. And perhaps there was tension in those nerves or an unwillingness for them to stretch which precipitated putting the shoulder in a position where the rotator cuff could strain. And if we're, as you know, I think is the case with much of physical therapy, focusing in on just musculoskeletal, we miss the nervous system component, which from my conception, the way I think of things is sort of the bridge between the anatomical approach and what we might call energetics underneath that. Which ties right back to the name of the show, which is Energy Matters. And when you were mentioning sort of cradling someone's sacrum, I thought of craniosacral, or, and I hear a lot about visceral manipulation. Are these maps that you're referring to? Yeah, that's, that's a very good question. Um, yes. And just to give a little bit of the, the framing of um, where those maps come from, those are both come from the world of osteopathy, which is specifically in the U.S., if we see an osteopath these days, we're not necessarily expecting them to do hands-on work, but the tradition started as such. It was kind of as if chiropractors and osteopaths started similarly. One went more in the direction of conventional Western medicine, and one went into the more holistic world. You still see some osteopaths who, who straddle both worlds. Um, and they do all take their medical tests together. So one is not necessarily like better or worse. It's just, like you said, it's a different path. Yeah, thanks yeah. for saying that. And, you know, credit to all in this, wherever they choose to go with it. Um, but both craniosacral and visceral manipulation, which are two systems of bodywork, systems of ways of looking at and interacting with the body, come from the broader term, osteopathy. And when I finished school, I was aware I had this really rich practice of movement from dance and martial arts, which was very much passionate to me. And then on the other hand, I had this deep intellectual framing of the body from the physical therapy world, and they didn't feel easy to interweave with one another. And so it kind of felt like I had two different worlds I was pulling from. And when I found the osteopathic manual medicine uh, systems such as craniosacral and visceral manipulation, I found something that really spoke to me as a kind of interstice or a bridge between those two, uh, where intuition was given a real place at the table in a way that it isn't so much in more um, of conventional physical therapy, but at the same time, there was a lot of talk about the mundane, the physical, the muscles and bones at the same time, too. Mm. Uh, to, to kind of get at the question that you asked underneath that, um, so a lot of what osteopaths, what really spoke to me initially in that practice was what they call listening skills. And listening skills are just the, first, the 
um, the willingness to acknowledge and it and to hone the technique of through touch being able to listen to whatever's happening in somebody else's body and the simple example of this might be if somebody's got a swollen joint and you put your hands on the joint you can tell it's swollen it's usually we don't think of that as listening skills because we could also see it um but that can be refined down and one of my teachers said that uh he was a frenchman and so it's a very french analogy he said that we don't question the sommelier or the wine taster who can tell you that this grape comes from this region a hundred years ago but yet we still have suspicion that our hands which have you know grown and evolved to be such intelligent uh, portions of us as humans don't have that same ability to read into um in this case another person but just to have such rich information pour in mm. So you're really tuning into kind of the iceberg that maybe even the person on the table might not be aware of. And by that, I assume you mean the how an iceberg has a little oh, yeah, bit of the bottom half of the iceberg. <laughs> <laughs> to clarify, exactly. <laughs> yes. Well, I like to believe that's the case, that if we think of the conscious mind as thankfully only taking a certain portion of all that is and using that to help us, you know, move through the world, that underneath that is this vast extra portion of self. Yeah. Amazing. Well, I have kind of an itching question that I'm, that I'm, uh, I don't know where it's coming from, but I'm just curious. Uh Is there any theme that shows up with the clients or patients that come into you around how they relate to pain? Ooh, well, that's a really good question. Um, Discomfort in the body. Yeah. So to frame that a little bit so that people kind of understand where I sit usually in when people are coming to see me, um, I tend to see a lot of people who have been through a lot of other physical therapists and often other types of uh, broadly used term healers. And so people, when they're coming to see me, are usually at, at somewhat on like the feeling of desperation of like, I, I really would love I, to feel less of this pain here. Um, and there's just a, a feeling in that of, and I'm, I'm losing hope that I'm going to get that. So in some ways, that's actually a really great place to be in the leverage because of how to help somebody i always say that pain is the great catalyst for change um and so they've sort of been marinating in that to a degree and one of the first things that i do with almost everybody who comes in is i ask them to tell me about the pain and to tell me also is there a tension or a tightness or soreness associated with that pain so to to borrow from an example, if somebody's in a car crash, um, what can often happen is that the shoulders get very tight and they have a headache and their neck is hurting them. And what the first question I usually ask is, so what? where's the body trying to take you? Is that If that tension is trying to put you in a posture or a, a certain way of holding yourself, can can we work on actually going more into that? And so often what I see is people who have been interfacing with their tension first and foremost from a place of asking it to go away which is very understandable tension and pain don't feel good and they're not supposed to um and so it's a 
completely understandable instinct to ask it to go away or to release it. Unfortunately, what that often does is it's, it's telling the part of us that's holding the trauma, the pain, the memory of whatever the injury is, that like you're not wanted in the spotlight. You're not wanted to be given attention. And we end up in a tug of war where this part of us is saying, hey, I like really, really need help here. And it's asking that through the language of the body, which is tension and pain. And the rest of us is saying, I'd really like you to not be hurting anymore. And Mm -hmm. we're kind of talking past each other there. So the exercise is just to help people find a way to go into the posture. And oftentimes, like that's the the first 10 sessions are just doing that because it starts a ball rolling where they're able to work with themselves instead of work against themselves and you know not even realizing that that's what they were doing and are, are your programs usually designed around kind of like 10 10 sessions of sort of that rhythm or is it different per person different per person 10 was just a, a sort of random number i threw out <laughs> yeah i i would say that um Some people come in one or two sessions and we just want to sort of be build that framework for them and then they're super motivated to go do it on their own and I I love that and that's great and and some people feel a, a need or just even a desire to come in more often and that could be you know some of my clients that I'm seeing I've seen for many many years and it's been an ongoing relationship. I'm so struck by this idea of working with oneself and kind of going into the tension and kind of attending to it. And it sounds so similar to psychotherapeutic work. You know, it's like you have an emotion and you want to just stop feeling sad or stop feeling angry. And actually the invitation is to go in. So I'm curious, how does like the emotional realm, are they intersecting? Do you find that? This yeah. might be self-serving, but <laughs> <laughs> self-serve away. I, I love I it. I just love that part. We're all learning here, you yeah. know. Like, yeah, I want to get it. Yeah. Um, well, to just answer the question simply, it, there's so much interplay it, to the point now where I genuinely cannot feel the distinction between what we might say physical pain and emotional pain. Um, it, that over time, the sort of wall that I was that was there between those two has just evaporated for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and I think there's probably a lot of truth to that. And it's interesting to help people come to their own sense of discovery around that. So I, that's not like an agenda of mine to have everybody experience pain in that same way. Um, but what I would say is that one of the ways I like to think about it is we have many different intentions and needs in our body. And so, again, to go back to the example of whiplash, we have the idea that structurally our shoulders are best drawn back and opened. Our neck is best lifting as if there was like a hook gently drawing us towards the sky. I do think these are the best things for our joints and our muscles, that this is sort of like the ideal functional framework for our body but we're not just creatures in physical movement we also have a lot of other dimensions of self Um, and so to use whiplash as an example oftentimes there's a feeling of need to protect the neck and like a boxer who would round up his shoulders there's a similar um, desire to do that that kind of 
it comes in after something like a car crash where usually whiplash is at its worst when we don't see it coming. So there's a shock to our system. And then our body says like, I have to protect so that, cause I can't see these things coming. I have to make sure that I'm ready no matter what, because who knows what the world's going to bring to me. Mm. And oftentimes if we are just looking at the body from the structural lens, we're trying to draw our shoulders down, trying to draw our neck up. And there's this little, maybe not even little, there's this part of us that feels a deep need for, protection that is drawing the other direction and when we're pushed put those at odds with each other and oftentimes for so many years that these two intentions are not working with one another um are not even really aware that they're they're fighting for the same turf so to speak what can build is resentment Uh, underneath that is usually a deep sense of grief a lot of people get a lot of anxiety and the feeling of just like a subtle feeling of confinement or trapped or scarce resources. And all of this comes from the various different agendas present in the body, not being able to sit down and work together. Mm. Um, So there's that. And then the other piece would be where emotions can easily just get quote unquote trapped or better put, stored for later in different aspects of our body and um, in visceral manipulation as well as Chinese medicine they talk about different organs being the favored receptacles for different emotions so you know we know heartache being an obvious one all of us know that feeling there Um, there's actually an old English word called livering which broadly means anger and it's well long ago we knew the liver was the the sort of receptacle for anger, so to speak. Um, It probably gets more sophisticated than that, but that's a broad overview. And then one of my other favorite ones is the word sacrum, our tailbone and uh, the bone that's attaching to that. The root word for that is sacred. And there was absolutely no coincidence there. That was not an accident. Early on, intuitively, we knew there's something very sacred about that cornerstone of our body. So... Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, we can kind of broadly map the different areas that are associated with different emotions. I think that's really useful, but I also think it's useful to come in sort of suspending any external idea of where these things go. And again, if we are just following tension in and asking a question to the body of, hey, what's happening here? What's going on here? And we allow ourselves to feel answers on the emotional level too. We, we might you know, find that, oh yeah, that shoulder's holding a lot of sadness or something like that. And usually in those realizations, there's a softening, a willingness for these different disparate agendas to, to meet and play nicer with each other. Mm. Mm. <laughs> I'm just sitting here soaking in, in this feeling that as you're uh, sitting there holding people, listening deeply underneath all these maps, what a sacred thing. Thank you, Marietta. I mean, I am also speaking from experience. I mean, it just seems like what a gift to hold people on all those levels uh, in that way. I, it feels like a gift to me. And I say this often to people is oftentimes after somebody has really connected those dots and and it usually comes at least at first as a surprise to people to feel the emotions being held in their body. And I would do this too. So I totally understand it. After a session like that, they're like, I'm so sorry. Are you okay? Like it's at telling this to me. 
And I usually say from full honesty, it, this is so much easier than if that's held inwards. Mm. <laughs> that, is, that is just feels like an energetic drag to me. And, and with complete compassion for where that may come from, it's the free flowing emotions always feels easier, even if it's quite intense and vigorous, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. I want to second that on the psychotherapeutic realm. And I wonder, does that ever come up in Reiki where people feel things? People feel all kinds of things. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's really, I think for the work that I do, I do a lot of intuitive work. So it's, and I, I don't use a lot of the body mechanical stuff that you do, um, but I'll often have people kind of be like stretching, you know, like and doing really deep breath work. And so that kind of facilitates a lot of the um, the movement of the emotion underneath that and a lot of just the release of, of these kind of deep pains or past lives. You know, I kind of, tr I, I thread through different parts of the whole energy field. So my work uh, looks different. But it is, it, it really does hold space for just that like, that trapped feeling and that stuff that just wasn't, it, we weren't, didn't feel safe to process it. Mm. Here, here. And to me, this comes from um, like clinical research on stroke rehab. And I read a study, I wish I saved this study, but I read it early when I was in college and um, it just... It like stuck with me and then once I started learning all of this stuff it made it just kept meaning more and the study was on how stroke patients post-stroke learn to reuse their their affected limb and the two variables that were the most important to facilitate that learning I feel like are very similar to the variables that help that trapped emotion feel safe to open and safety was one of them and then the other was uh, we could either call it self-interest or play. And mm. so somebody feeling both safe and playful. The, ana the analogy that I like to draw from to help me frame that is if we're imagining like this, the core of us is sort of our home. And the more we're at our fringes in any dimension is the kind of like scary edge of our safe zone that we want to dance within that when things are a little more intense, we move closer to home. But also on the other side is when things are feeling a little more ready to, to forage out to those edges so that there still is a sense of adventure and exploration. Mm. Sounds like there just gets to be more of the individual present. I, yeah, I think that's that Over. may be the hidden agenda underneath the rest of the work for me personally. Mm. Mm -hmm. I'm having so much fun. This is awesome. Yay. Well, <laughs> it's nice because you guys are friends and so that you get a chance to kind of like deepen your, you know, especially when you're hanging out, you might not like dig into the like intricacies of our work. We kind of do. But. Maybe you do. Okay. <laughs> That's how we hang. Yeah. Okay. So now we get to kind of share those behind the scenes conversations. Amen. Yes. It's true. It's true. <laughs> and having been on the table with Adam, this is an awesome opportunity to kind of span out and see the bigger picture and understand more of other people he works with what you know how he's holding it more theoretically and yeah so of course that brings me to my next question for you all right <laughs> do people come to you when nothing's wrong yes uh, and you know like i want to then immediately for my own self like what do i what what was 
what's wrong? You yeah. know, and a problem. Uh, yeah. So one of my teachers tried to reframe anytime we would speak injury or problem. She, she would say, call it a project. <laughs> and mm. I like that reframe. I think sometimes it, it's a little frustrating if you're in extreme pain or even just, you know, suffering to say, don't call it a problem. Call it a project. Feels a little like put on, but, um, but I still enjoy the essence of that. And there's also a big talk on ablement models versus disablement models. A lot of our medical system is built off of a disablement model, aka I'm going in because this hurts or because this is wrong and fixing that. Whereas we could flip that on its head a little bit and focus more on vitality, which is um, to borrow from a word that I heard first from Marietta is the worried well, so to speak. <laughs> to change that up for a little bit to give it a positive spin would be to say those of us who are interested in you know capturing the full vitality possible. And um, I like that just as much. And in fact, I think that stopping once something is wrong is no longer wrong is no way to live our lives um and so one of my favorite things to do is that the injury becomes the catalyst for a quote-unquote project that gets to last a lifetime Mm. are you on this full vitality project I try to be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are there things that support your body? And I mean, you use your body. Yes. All day. Yes. Five, six days a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you support your project of being a body worker? What what activities or practices help you? I feel very lucky and blessed to have not one but many good body workers in the area that I get to go to to get. Um, refreshed for myself and when i'm not doing that i can just feel the the lushness the texture of my work starts to drain out a little bit so that's a big one and uh another one that this past year with covid has made me very much more fond of in its absence is um dance dance for me is it once upon a time martial arts was my love of movement and i always call it my first love and i still really love martial arts but when i was no longer a young uh insecure teenager who felt the need to to know that i was powerful to be able to be okay in the world um i realized you know i actually just really love movement and a more freedom of ex- expression movement is what feeds me and so i will often call dance my church that Mm. it it just grounds me it helps me filter things and process and if i don't have that in my life i feel like i the stories that i take in in um as a body worker tend to like build up and dance is the agent the vehicle for that to transmute into personally inspiration and creativity Mm. Wow. I'm just imagining how different martial arts and something like contact improv might be in how you relate to your own body and connection with other people. Yeah, there's a wonderful um, Brazilian martial artist and dancer um, who I will do my best to remember his name, but is escaping me right now. And he talks about how in dance or in contact improv, which is a 
certain form of dance, when somebody reaches out with their hand, the implied language of that is that we are going to be working together. And so there's a yielding that happens. And then in martial arts, if somebody's reaching out their hand, the implied language is that there's an opposition, that these my goal and your goal are at odds with each other. <laughs> and in this case is to, you know, in some way disrupt the other person um, or hurt them. And one of the things I really like is the intersection of those two, what we might call play fighting or oppositional dance, um, where we don't have a prescribed language that that hand may be to mess with you and it may be to creatively yield and co-create together. Um, and that is the greatest way to tune awareness because because there isn't any pre-described language. So we are really in the moment trying to use whatever energy the person's bringing with them to understand better what their intention is. Um, and so, yeah, the place I'm most excited in my own personal movement practice is those kinds of interactions and the people that I feel like I have enough movement facility and safety to embark on those because they can be edgy. Um, and it often, it just like, if I was to watch a video of it, it looks like two siblings playing. Doing Indian rug burns to each other. And yeah, <laughs> but then also doing these really sweet, playful, loving things at the same time. Mm. Wow. I love imagining this. <laughs> I'm imagining how much of um, boundaries have to be navigated in this play fighting thing. Because it seems like in contact, you kind of, I, I think you do hold your own ground. But anyway, I'm getting off topic here. But maybe I'm, not. I don't know. I mean, it's a wonderful topic. And it's, it is definitely within the greater domain of movement and physical therapy. Um, I, yeah, I think there's a lot of similarities there in this case, it's more of a peer-based relationship, whereas as a physical therapist, there's um, there's roles that are more clearly defined. But I think in both of these situations, being able to really sense the essence of what the other person's bringing and what I, we are bringing is the key to authentic human relationship. Mm. What a beautiful concept. Boom. I know that has like a drop the mic kind of vibe for sure for sure absolutely well that takes me to another question around uh, sort of the future of healing or growth I mean in it I'm I'm curious about specifically the role of movement and dance but that's just my own interest um, and kind of how the healing field is moving forward and how you relate to that you know what would you want to see in the future of Wellness. I know wellness was not your favorite word for it. I can't remember. Physical therapy specifically, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, I, I think my lens is physical therapy, and thus I feel most strongly about that domain. But I, I, I tend to believe this also holds to the greater uh, wellness field, so to speak, that if we're able to really take injury and pain and allow it to be a catalyst for change um, that we're not thinking of like I want to get back to before the injury but instead are thinking I can't go backwards so I want to go to a better forwards and um, then finally to treat injury not as the limitations of a cage but the structure 
uh, scaffolding for a different and more creative (laughs) creative expression and i use this example often where um i was in a dance performance rolled my ankle on the first day of a four-day weekend and couldn't do half of the moves (laughs) that i needed to do there um and I actually think I became a better dancer for that because the injury provided a necessary move from routine into the unknown and it, it allowed creativity to show. And I never have been received so much positive feedback as when I was injured on the stage. So that, that really cemented it in for me, this, this belief that, um, if we are not treating injury as purely something to fix, but as something that can help us find wherever we want to go. And as practitioners, that we are approaching people with that in mind, with the goal to help them there, that that is a better way to to frame wellness than simply like fixing the potholes as mm. they come up in our lives. Mm. Yeah. I love that. I, I'm, I'm hearing kind of that we do have this patterned way of using our bodies and that that can really limit creativity and expression. I love this story. I'm, I mean, I'm sorry you twisted your ankle, and I love hearing <laughs> that so much more opened up for you. Yeah, it was, it was, it was an empowering experience. You know, mm-hmm. when limitation becomes, as I said, uh, I love this analogy, scaffolding for further flight. Um, that's a really nice shift of framework. And it, yeah, and I have, just to say this, I have tried to force that on myself and that doesn't work. It's, Mm. it sort of has to be stumbled on each time. And I'm really passionate about helping to create the conditions for each of us to stumble on that, Mm. um, authentic reframing of injury. Yeah. And it's almost just like the body gets to show you the parts that like are ready to kind of emerge and show rather than just like having the mind say like, no, I want to go in this direction. Here, here. I love the idea of having more choice, you know, in our, yes, there's so much more that's possible. I'm thinking about sort of the potential that we all carry in our bodies. Yeah. And one of the things, again, that I feel really passionate about is if we allow the grief of choice lost to really have its time. So, you know, like somebody who had an amputation, they're not going to have the choice to use that flesh limb again. That's just, it's not there. Um, But if we can go through the grief process, what we find on the other side of that is new possibility. And that's a really beautiful thing. And it, um, even just saying it now, I'm annoyed at myself because it's, it, it can feel contrived, but when it's genuine, it's a beautiful thing to see. Mm. And one of my favorite things in the world to get to be a part of. Mm. Which comes back to the sort of sacredness of it all. Mm-hmm. That's what becomes possible. Well, I'm curious if there's anything else you want to share with us. Hmm. Good question. So I didn't talk about um, my my center which is our center which is 10 body works in east hampton and um yeah there i'm really interested in in getting a group of like-minded physical therapists and body workers who are not all coming from the exact same angle but we are each interested in this sort of like getting into the meat of the matter or where the uh where we can access that vulnerable core and help people 
live that both safety and creative adventurously out in the world. Um, so my personal lens through that is with is strongly uh, influenced through osteopathic manual medicine, cranial sacral, visceral manipulation, muscle energy technique, and a host of other fancy big names. Um, but I'm less interested in the atlas that I bring and more about like how, for example, my atlas would meet yours. And those are the places that just, yeah, to this day, I, I get giddy about. <laughs> <laughs> I can feel your giddiness. Yeah, so I love your podcast because it seems like that's what this is. So. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that's really like what drives so much of the work, you know, is like when you're excited about it, when you love it and it, when it feels good, like that's what draws people to you. Mm, that aliveness. You can really feel it. Hoorah. Hoorah. <laughs> 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 um, so where in East Hampton are you? Uh, right near the New River Valley Market. Um, so, so kind of on that commercial stretch of yeah, East Hampton. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Um, and we're, we're tucked away in the back a little bit, um, but you can find us at 10bodyworks.com as well. And yeah. Okay, cool. And I just want to say you all opened kind of right as the pandemic hit. And, uh, and I know, having been in there, that there's all sorts of body toys and, and group space looking. So do you have any intentions of doing classes now that things are opening up a bit or yes i have you know i'm not updated on where classes can be right now but it is the goal that this is not just a one-on-one venture but something that can be community-based and class-based too and uh hopefully within the year um that will get to be uh depends on a number of factors of course so yeah. yeah. What well, made you wanted to oh, to work in like a group setting instead of just having an individual practice like so many of us healers and wellness practitioners in the Pioneer Valley who are just kind of these individual little satellites? What what drew you to kind of working in a group setting? I, it's it's a kind of funny answer. Um I'm the the moment that this happened, I was watching a show about some of the best chefs in the world, and one of them said, our, our kitchen is like a family. And I was like, I don't have my work family. Yes, <laughs> I feel like I saw that episode of Chef's Table. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's I the remember. one. Yeah. <laughs> and so that, that, like, before that, it was always too much work. I don't want to do that. And there still is that voice in there for me. Um but on the other hand, that's a beautiful dream and one that I'm excited. It seems like it's happening. So very yeah. cool. Yeah. So you're just kind of handpicking your your new your new family. I, I wish it was that intentional. It's more like gut picking. <laughs> if there's such a thing, <laughs> it's like having conversations with people and being like, "Oh yeah, that works." And so yes, I'm I'm not the most pre-planned individual, and it's. Yeah, that's showing up in business, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's great. That's mm-hmm. so exciting. Yeah, thanks. I feel very excited about it, too. And it was good to start during the pandemic because... Slow it down. Oh, my God, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> give, give you a minute to catch A few up. less gray hairs on the head, so, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And how can people find you? So the easiest way is through my website, or our website, which is Tend Bodyworks. That's T as in theater, E-N-D, bodywork with an S at the end. Um, and other than that, well, we do have a podcast there, and we have a Facebook page, which is also Tend Bodyworks. And um, we're trying to be more available social media, and we're starting a blog. So, yeah, come check us out. Very cool. And um, Adam, do you have any last words of wisdom that you would like to throw into the universe? 
Oof. <laughs> Oof. On top of all the wisdom that you've already shared. Yes, yeah, so that's the, the, qu- the one question that I have all of my guests answer. So okay. The last, last words of wisdom to throw into the universe. Yeah. Seek play in life. Mm. There's my words of wisdom. And seek play. How, how do people seek play? If they're like, let's just say they have not, that's like a new idea. Uh-huh. What does that mean? Where do they go? Where where do you even start? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Safety, <laughs> safety is good. Yes. So start by finding the place of comfort for you. And I once had a dance teacher say, "Try to move only from curiosity." And I asked as an authentic question, but also sort of like a little like elbow in the side. Like, well, what if that means sleep for me? And his answer was then sleep. <laughs> so it's like perfect. Like yeah, okay, so. Maybe play doesn't look like what we think play does, but it's finding that place inside of us where true interest lies. And that is often best found in moments of relative silence. So, yeah, I suppose another way to say that is seek relative silence. <laughs> I <laughs> sounds like seek different. play. <laughs> seek play sounds real fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> sounds different, doesn't it? <laughs> More chicken soup for the soul there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Um, so we are coming to the top of the hour. And um, if you're just tuning in and you want to catch the rest of this episode um, with Adam Brady um, or with, and with Marietta Skeen, um, you can always go back onto the Energy Matters uh, podcast, which is available anywhere that you download your favorite podcast, or you can go on to reikinorthampton.com and all the archived episodes are up there as well if you're not like a podcast in the podcast world um so again uh you can always pop over to um to tend body works uh, to check out uh, more about and to explore more about um adam brady and his work uh, with physical therapy and his kind of multi-dimensional style of healing um and i just want to say thank you so much marietta for for bringing in some some great vibes today and and um, I love your your style of, of inquiry and um, and your reflections throughout the hour. It was really um, exciting to be able to um, to learn from from you. Mm, thanks so much for having me, Caroline. This is very fun. Yes, yes. Have a great weekend, everyone, and be well. <laughs>